Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, we got a little bit of an impromptu news update here today. Uh, you ready to talk some news? Yeah, we literally just recorded about 24 hours ago, and now we feel the need to hit record again because so much has happened over the last like 24 to 48 hours. Some of this we knew on the recap podcast we just recorded, yep. and then some of it just kind of came out, breaking news type stuff, so we want to make sure we hit on all that and gave you all a midweek update before we preview the ACC championship game this weekend. Yeah. And, and not only stuff that kind of just happened, but I would, I would venture things that caught us a little bit off guard, Mike, if we want to start there, uh, do yep. we want to talk about your Hokies here first? Yep. All right. So as we have mentioned in, in previous weeks and, and months and maybe to some degree years, um, we were starting to get the sense that maybe Justin Fuente's tenure in Blacksburg was going to start running a little bit short here. And we found out yesterday, I believe it was yesterday, that Whit Babcock had scheduled a press conference for today, as we record this, the morning of Tuesday, December the 15th. Whit Babcock had scheduled a press conference for uh, today around lunchtime for something kind of just, he didn't really say what it was. Uh, he just, it was just, we're going to have a press conference and talk about the football team and we'll, we'll talk about it then. And by the way, if you, if you're not familiar with zoom already, figure that out. Um, that was, I, I was tickled by that part and everyone looked at that and said, well, we all kind of agree that, you know, Fuente has been on the hot seat. He's not being very specific, but we also know that at midnight, you know, this first thing this morning, Justin Fuente's buyout drops fairly substantially and kind of agreed that that's probably a good uh, a good trigger to go ahead and make a move is to wait for that buyout to drop and then immediately kind of pull that trigger. But Mike, it sounds like from what you can tell, that is not exactly what's about to happen. Yeah, uh, Whit Babcock, Tim Sands, the president of Virginia Tech and director of Virginia Tech's Board of Visitors met yesterday, Monday afternoon around one o'clock there was a meeting that took place there with Babcock in that meeting they, they have that at the end of every football season to discuss the state of the program and what needs to change with Babcock laid out whatever plan that is we don't know the specifics yet but we will likely know more at one o'clock today where with Babcock holds that press conference we'll know what kind of changes are going to be made to Virginia Tech's football program that doesn't mean that we're going to find out that coordinators are fired or assistance were reassigned or that sort of thing, but we're probably going to get an understanding of big picture what is going to change moving forward for Virginia Tech. Um, the expectation from a lot of people, myself included, was that Justin Fuente had coached his last game for Virginia Tech last Saturday against Virginia. That's something I've said on this podcast. That's something I've written about. <laughs> that is something I've got on the radio on the record for when people have asked. That wasn't 
as much inside knowledge based because honestly like for this type of thing you need to know somebody on the board of visitors i don't know anybody on the board of visitors <laughs> so you need to have a source there i don't i couldn't tell you definitively whether or not it was going to be his last game at virginia tech but i could tell you my gut feeling was that it was right um, based on everything that people more tied in were thinking and hearing and saying on you know whether it be message boards or social media what have you um, so it seemed like it was trending that direction. Something changed. I don't know what that is. I think a lot of fans want the answer as to what that is. A lot of fans, I think, want some clarity. Virginia Tech, I think that the big takeaway from this is that when they announced that there was going to be a 1 p.m. press conference today with Whit Babcock to discuss football-related matters, it wasn't very specific. Um, and honestly, it was very poorly handled. Um, a lot of the complaints from a lot of Virginia Tech fans is, uh, the fact that PR has been a major issue around the football program at Virginia Tech in particular. Uh, this didn't help. This is a scenario where, like you mentioned, Joey, the buyout for Justin Fuente at midnight today, Tuesday the 15th, dropped from $12.5 million to $10 million. Everybody knew that. <laughs> Once Justin Fuente's seed got, ice, got, got red hot, right, and needed some ice on it, like, Everybody knew what the buyout numbers were, when it dropped, what the situation was with his contract, et cetera. We knew the buyout was dropping. They announced that there's going to be a press conference today at one o'clock with Whit Babcock. Everybody is under the assumption at that point that that means the coach is fired. All the national people were saying it. There was this narrative out there. Dan Wolken was peddling, saying that there was discord between Whit Babcock and Justin Fuente, something that I never bought, and I've been pretty vocal about that on social media. Absolutely ridiculous. Discord. Discord. I I got into a little discussion about the difference between Discord and Discourse as well. I had <laughs> some folks were trying to correct me on grammar on Twitter. Whatever. Twitter's a magical place, Mike. It is. Um, correcting the writer. Interesting. Okay. Um but anyway, Dan Walken was peddling this narrative. There was discord between Whit Babcock and Fuente, something I never bought because you don't go out as an athletic director when your head coach is flirting with another job in January and go and take a bullet for him in the press conference if you don't like the guy. Nope. So sure, things could change over the last year, like the last 11 months or so, but I didn't buy that narrative at all. Turns out that narrative's not true because Whit Babcock's going to go out today and say that he's keeping Justin Fuente as football coach. Um that multiple reports are saying that right now. Brett McMurphy, a national writer, has said it. He's a guy who's never wrong on these things, really, ever. Uh, he came out and said it. All the local beat writers have said that Virginia Tech is keeping Puente. So the question now for the fan base is, number one, how do we get better PR people to handle these things <laughs> so that we don't just totally step in it, in front yeah. of God and everyone? Number two, what is it? that's going to change and what is the reason why Justin Fuente is keeping his job? Mm -hmm. What I think the answer to that's going to be Joey, without going too long on this, what I think the answer is going to be is this was a pretty much brand new defensive staff, new scheme, didn't have time to really implement it. You know, you had uh, a spring practice that didn't exist this year. Summer was not the same as it usually is. And you had a fall camp where a lot of guys were out due to COVID. It's like a lot of time to get cohesion on the defensive side of the football. Virginia Tech's defense had played well in the back half of the season, played much better than they did in the front half of things. Um, and there's clear improvement being shown on that side of the football. So I think that's going to be the sell on defense. On offense, I'm not sure what the sell is going to be. 
I think the changes need to be made on that side of the football. I haven't been shy about that. I think they need to move on from offensive coordinator Brad Cornelson. If it remains status quo, I don't think that's acceptable. I don't think it'll help anything. I think we'll be in the same position a year from now talking about how Virginia Tech just waited a year longer than they wanted to um, to move on from Fuente. I think the buyout, even though Virginia Tech has the money, I think Virginia Tech would prefer to use that $10 million buyout money that they have for Justin Fuente's contract and kind of put that into the Virginia Tech football program instead. I think you'd rather invest in infrastructure and recruiting positions and stuff like that rather than pay it for a guy not to coach. Um, Fuente has had some success at Virginia Tech, so I think Whit Babcock would rather ride it out with the guy that he selected to replace Frank Beamer in a pandemic year where things didn't go well. I think he's just going to ride it out with his guy. Now, things clearly need to change. I've been talking about that for a while. I mean, the the standard right now at Virginia Tech is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I think you need to play better football. Um, But I think that's going to be the sell to the fan base. Now, if they, they remain status quo, they don't change the staff, I think you're going to have a hard time selling that to the fan base. I think that Justin Fuente probably told Whip Babcock, look, these new recruiters that I brought on, they were brought on in the middle of a pandemic. And early returns, Joey, for what it's worth, for a lot of these new recruiting staffers, they've gotten in touch with a lot of pretty good kids in the state of Virginia, like the back half of this cycle. And they've made some headway with some high-end three-star talent, which is better than what was happening before with the recruiting staff, before guys like Corey, former players, Corey Fuller, Jerron Gavea Winslow came on the staff. Um, They seem to be making a little bit of headway in the state of Virginia in the back half of this 2021 recruiting class. That's, you know, early signing days tomorrow as we sit here record today. Yeah. So I think they're going to sell. I I think the sell for Fuente is, look, they need more time in a normal environment. But I think more than anything, Tech needs infrastructure changes and additions. I think they need to make some changes to the coaching staff. And honestly, I don't know how Whit Babcock can sell it to the fan base. And really, I don't know how Fuente can honestly stick around without agreeing to make some changes. I think that's the only way that this move makes sense to keep him at this point, even though the buyout is what it is. Virginia Tech had the money and didn't pull the trigger, and there has to be a reason why. I, I was going to say, I mean, if, if the money's not there, there's something else. Or if, if the money was there, then there's got to be something else. And that, So l- let me ask you this, Mike, just, just for starters. On a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being like, roll your eyes, of course they did this. 10 being like, somebody had to hold you up from falling out of your chair when you, when you heard this. How like, surprised, shocked were you when you started hearing smoke that they were going to keep Fuente? I'd say like a 5 like middle of that scale. The reason mm-hmm. why is because I know how Whit Babcock operates, Joey. Like this is a guy and, and nobody truly knows like behind the scenes how he operates because he keeps things very close to the best, but how he kind of supports his athletic programs and kind of backs the people that he's brought in. This isn't a huge surprise to me. Now, I think the the question is whether or not this has to do with a his trust in Fuente or be the fact that he wasn't totally enamored by the pool of candidates out there. I mean, people that were associated with this job were guys like Tony Elliott at Clemson, which I would have been a fan of. Um, People like Billy Napier at Louisiana, uh, Will Healy at Charlotte. There was smoke around Luke Fickle at Cincinnati, but I'm not sure he was ever coming to Blacksburg. He wasn't going to be the long-term fix anyway, number one. But number two, I'm not sure if you could pay enough money to get him here. So I I think Virginia Tech was in a spot, honestly, with, with the guys that were realistic. Uh, to come to tech where 
Babcock wasn't 100% sure that he could get a guy to replace Fuente that would be worth bringing in while also paying a massive buyout. If you don't have that confidence, you're probably not making a move. Yeah. I So here here's my concern with it from a Virginia Tech angle and why I was I was surprised. I was probably more than a five. I was, I was probably closer to like a seven. Like I, I really thought that this was it. We're done. We're moving on here. Um, the, the, the reason that this surprised me, the, the big thing was, and if, if you know, we've talked about it before, how bad last year's recruiting class was. This year's recruiting class, as you mentioned, it's improving. But the long and short of it, Mike, is that they're still 44th nationally and 11th in the ACC right now in, in the 24-7 composite rankings. Like, and, and with signing day tomorrow, um, early signing day at least, like, and I texted you this this yesterday afternoon as this news was starting to break. Was like, I feel like if they don't get rid of him, this program is set up to fail within a couple of years. Like to have a second straight kind of underwhelming recruiting class coming this way. I realize that there's you know potential to kind of fix it and everything, but like you need help now. <laughs> you know they needed to make a change now. I think to show some sort of improvement. And I and I get it from Babcock's angle. You know, being a guy who is kind of loyal to those who he hires and those who work for him like that's that's honorable and that's reasonable like and and you understand that but at the same time I what have we seen so far and and yes the defense improved towards the end of the year but have we really seen something that tells us that next fall yeah something's really going to be different they're really going to turn a corner and I, and I feel weird saying that because I'm also the guy that's typically like well let's be patient you know let's give him another year that kind of thing but that's that's typically when I see programs trying to fire a coach after three or four years. My tendency is, well, let's give it another year. We've seen a full five, and we're going into six. And we, we've talked about how, uh, you know, this – I again, I don't know that they are really truly set up for success within the next three years based on kind of the roster management over the last couple of years. So I I, I was surprised and honestly a little bit disappointed, and I, I'm real curious to see if it works out. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, the feeling of most of the fan base and I, you know, I'm not sold. That's going to work out. And I was going to say, do I you agree with this move? Uh, I mean, no, I, I don't, <laughs> but I don't, I, you know, I, I just have to sit here and kind of look at it, you know, outside looking in and be like, all right, well, what's the reasoning? I'm waiting for this. I mean, this this one o'clock press conference with Whit Babcock is going to be a turning point in the Virginia Tech football program. One way or the other. Uh, one way or the other. And it's either going to be, you know, towards the point of, I don't want to say towards the point of no return. I think that's probably too rash because Virginia Tech even bottoming out is, you know, 500. I mean, they, they went five and six this year. I mean, if this is bottoming out, you know, we saw this last four years of Beamer too. This isn't like a, this program is not playing a tough enough schedule or in a position where the talent on the roster is bad enough where they're going to go and be like Duke where they're winning like two or three games a year. It's never going to get to that point. Mm -hmm. But if this is the bottoming out and you're kind of playing 500 football, the, the path between 500 football and Clemson is the hardest part. It's not, you know, winning two or three games a year and getting to 500. That That's easy. It's the next part. Like, becoming a program that consistently wins eight, nine, or 10 games. Shoot. I mean, Joey, we've talked about this with Jeff Collins, right? The hardest part for him is what comes next. Yeah. Um, it's not the start of the rebuild when there's no expectations. It's when there are expectations in place and you're trying to meet those or exceed those. That's the mark of a good football coach and a good program. 
Justin Fuente was able to come in when there were no real expectations after the, the waning years of Frank Beamer, right? Tech was averaging a little over seven wins a year, Beamer's last four years. Fuente comes in, he wins 19 games his first two seasons, makes an ACC championship appearance, damn near made two in his first two years, nearly makes one a year ago in an up-and-down year. You look at it just on paper, and you say, okay, Fuente has won eight games or more in three out of his five seasons in Blacksburg. But then you look a little bit closer, and you see some of the losses. You know, they, they lost to a bad Georgia Tech team in 2016 that was, you know, laden with backups and a lot of guys were hurt. They lost inexplicably to Syracuse that season. That was the year they damn near beat Clemson in the conference title game. Um, you know, you lose games to Old Dominion. You lose games to Liberty. You lose a, you know, 15-year streak to UVA. Um, you're probably going to – I wonder if they're going to lose the bowl streak this year. That's something we talked about in the last podcast. So. Mm-hmm. A lot of bad trends. You know, the program's worst season since 1992 was two seasons ago in 2018. 2019, Tech was trailing at halftime 14-3 to to Furman. Like, there's a lot of a lot of stuff piling up here when you look at the individual game performances. But when you look at it from, uh, from an overall wins and losses standpoint, I mean, Fuente's a 500 coach in ACC play his last three years. That's not acceptable in Blacksburg. Yep. Um, but when you look at it, just kind of even just more macro, he's won eight games or more in three out of his first five seasons, which is more than what Frank Beamer was doing. So I, I think Witt is trying to kind of couch this, but things are not trending in a very good direction, and changes do certainly need to be made. And if there are no changes made at all going into next year to the coaching staff, I think that's going to be a really, really hard sell for the fan base. I mean, Twitter's on fire. Uh, my mentions are a disaster. I try to, I've always tried to lay it out like pretty straightforward. Like this is kind of what's happening. And a lot of people don't like hearing that because it doesn't fit a certain narrative. Mm-hmm. But you can only just, you got to just kind of say how things sit at the present moment, regardless of your feelings on the matter. And I'm really curious to see what Whit Babcock says or what Justin Fuente does in the coming weeks to determine the ultimate trajectory of the program, whether or not he's going to last here. I, I would be betting against him at this point that this is going to work out, but we'll see. Yep, I agree. The only thing I'll say here, and then we'll move on, is the thing to consider with some of those questions that you were, or, or some of those stats that you were throwing out there, you know, of either wins per year or down 14 to 3 to Furman at halftime, you know, some of these things that we've seen. Like the question is, could we do better? And I think that's the thing yep. to consider. And I think you and I both have our opinions on that, and we probably agree. <laughs> we do. There we definitely go. do. <laughs> Uh, let's move on, Mike. We got some other news here, and, and a lot of this is going to be fairly transfer heavy. Um, one of the things that came out yesterday after we finished recording was that Chase Bryce, uh, former Clemson backup, now is the starter all year at Duke. He's going to be transferring to play his last season, to which we both said, dude, what are you doing? Like, Why, why do yeah. you sit for you know three, four years at Clemson and then transfer to Duke and then transfer again a year later? Like, I, I don't get this necessarily, especially a guy who's probably getting grad school paid for at Duke. Dude, just just get the masters and move on and, and you know, move on. You're probably not gonna be playing NFL football anytime soon. Um, probably thinks he is though. Yeah. But that said, Mike, it, it also does kind of beg the question. Like it's it's easy to understand why a backup somewhere or, or something like that might want to go play at Duke is well, David Cutcliffe has a great reputation, you know, working with and developing quarterbacks. You know, going back to the Manning boys, obviously, but then, you know, anybody from Daniel Jones and a number of guys since he's been there, right? So why, Mike, 
might Chase Bryce be looking to leave after just one year in the David Cutcliffe co- quarterback coaching school? Cutcliffe's retiring, isn't he? Kind of feels like he might be. I don't know. We, we've alluded towards this, and I've I've, I've seen, you know, I heard a couple of like a rumbling here or there. It's nothing substantial. It's nothing specific. But it just really feels like it's it's time. And, you know, if, if it is time, like I kind of hate it for him from the standpoint of like, man, you really went out with a whimper here uh, with a couple of pretty, pretty rough years uh, after, you know, building Duke into what he did. But really does kind of feel like it might be time. Yeah, I mean, this is what we've been talking about for a while is, okay, if you're ever going to move on from Cutcliffe, this is probably the time to do it. I mean, they missed a bowl game last year. They went 2-9 and nine this year, uh, and that was with an upgraded quarterback. I mean, nobody was necessary. No, I, I wasn't expecting Duke to be 2-9. and nine. I didn't think it was going to be that bad. I mean, I was yeah. thinking, okay, Bryce, like, quarterback was an issue last year quentin harris like you, you bring in a guy who played at clemson like it can't be that bad can it uh but it was and it bottomed out and chase price was worse than expected and i don't think it was much of an upgrade for quentin harris honestly so yeah. um this has been an issue now for a little bit and like you mentioned i david cockcliffe's been known for being kind of like the quarterback whisperer <laughs> And now he hasn't had a good quarterback since Daniel Jones. And we see what the program is without a capable guy playing that position. And, you know, that's the case for a lot of programs. You know, you don't get a good quarterback in and it's just kind of uphill sledding. I just wonder now if David Cutcliffe is going to be the coach moving forward for Duke, especially considering, you know, Chase Bryce electing to transfer. I mean, I think to your point, I think the only reason Chase Bryce probably transferred there in the first place was to be coached by David Cutcliffe. And I do wonder now, um, given the year that Chase Bryce has had, given the year that Duke has had, if Duke may be making a move uh, with their head coach and they're never going to fire, they're never going to fire him, right? David Cutcliffe, he's, he's got Beamer levels of goodwill with yeah. the Duke athletic yeah. department, like I mentioned uh, in the recap pod, Bobby right? Bowden levels. Right. I mean, he's not going to he's not going to get fired at Duke, but there could be kind of a press conference to say, you know, this is a mutual parting of ways and Cutcliffe retires because Cutcliffe's not going to coach. I, I don't think that that would be an upset in my book. If he were to coach anywhere else again. I think he's, his next his next path is probably retirement. I think we might be heading that direction. I think Chase Bryce might see the writing on the wall there. And that may be why he's electing a transfer. That's the only way it makes sense for Bryce, really, because like you mentioned, why would you sit behind somebody at Clemson for multiple years, a couple of different quarterbacks, by the way, sit behind them and then transfer to Duke only to then transfer out after a year? Because realistically, I'm not sure he has NFL. I mean, he may have NFL aspirations, but I don't believe he's an NFL quarterback, at least based on what I've seen at this point. So why are you transferring away from Duke when you're getting a graduate degree? I don't understand that, especially if your next step is probably a nine to five job like most of us. Yeah, I so let's put it this way too. keep in mind, David Cutcliffe, as, as old as he kind of seems when you just like look at him, he's 66. Like that's not, you know, he's, he's not actually absolutely like, you know, a, a skeleton, you know, he, he's not, not a fossil. <laughs> he's not a fossil yet. Um, he, he's still got a little bit left in him from a football coaching standpoint. I mean, there's, there's guys yeah. that coach into their seventies. Like that is, he's younger than Mac Brown. He's younger than Nick Saban. He's yeah. Yeah, around the same age as Les Miles, like. Yep. Well, and a guy with you know his skill set and his background, like, 
I, would would you a would I would I hire him to be a head coach somewhere else at this point in his career? Probably not. Would I hire him to maybe be a quarterbacks coach to maybe you know be an offensive analyst something like that? You know maybe a place like Tennessee where he spent 1982 through 1998 and 2006 and 2007, or maybe a place like his alma mater Alabama. <laughs> maybe you know. That, that's I, I think that's on the table. You know, he might not be completely done with coaching, but I, I do think this is probably it from the standpoint of him, uh, you know, leading a program. Yeah, I agree. Um, now, it depends on the school, too. I mean, we could see a small school maybe want to take a chance on it, but I don't know how willing David Codcliffe would be at this stage to want to go do that. I mean, he's not like Bass. Like, like guys like Les Miles are like basking in the glory days at LSU. He's like, oh, my God, I could turn around this program and be a legend at multiple schools. Mm-hmm. Like David Cutcliffe is a very good coach. I wouldn't consider him to be like a, like a legend. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like he's had a very good career. He's coached a lot of really good players, uh, the Manning brothers, et cetera. Like he's had the he's got the, the pedigree from that standpoint. He's a very, very good football coach, but he's not like one of the five or ten best coaches of all time. I'm not trying to put Les Miles in that category either, but he's right. won a national championship, right? Cutcliffe has not won a national championship as a head coach. He's not in that discussion, but he's a very good football coach with value to program to a program like Duke. So the question is whether or not Duke wants to move on from him, whether he wants to move on from Duke. I mean, that's the story of the offseason because now that Fuente is staying in Blacksburg, the only other job I could see coming open due to like a firing or forced retirement was Duke. That was it. Duke and Virginia Tech were the two. Yep. And Virginia mm-hmm. Tech wasn't even a thing until like the last three or four weeks. For a while there, we did a mailbag podcast, Joey, about a month ago. Yep. Um, at that time, the only job that we, you and I both agreed would likely come open or would have a chance to come open this offseason was Duke. That was it. So this, all eyes are on Durham here as far as the coaching carousel is concerned and whether or not it's time for him to retire. Well, and, and once again, though, I, I, I don't know anything specific here. And for all I know, we could just be making stuff up and projecting based on what Chase Bryce wants to do with his life. Um, so there is, it is very much on the table like that. There aren't any, any changes in the coaching, uh, coaching ranks here, uh, at least as far as head coaches go in the ACC this off season. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. Mike, we got more transfers. We need to hit on here real quick. Yeah. Uh, we found out Mackenzie Milton, former UCF quarterback who, uh, was in Heisman discussions, you know, as recently as a couple of years ago, he went out towards the end of last year with a really nasty knee injury uh, that was just—it was really unfortunate. He honestly, he was lucky that he was able to come back and play football at all. People thought it might have been a career-ending level knee injury. Uh, it, Alex it, Smith levels. Yeah, bad, 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 bad. Um, but and, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, don't go look for it. You don't want to see nope. it. It's it's mm-hmm. not not for the weak stomach. Um, but he he announced that he's going to be transferring into Florida State, which I think is going to be really interesting. And I think part of what's interesting to me is that I don't know at this point if Mackenzie Milton still actually can get out there and play football, certainly from a a mobility standpoint. Can he run like he used to be able to? I don't know that. What I do know, Mike, is that that guy has has been the leader of a team and has, has seen what it takes to win and to be successful. And if nothing else, having him in the locker room, you know, and working with Jordan Travis and some of those guys, like... I have to imagine that that will at minimum be a very positive influence on a Florida State locker room that desperately needs some positivity, some, some a bit of a reset, and some leadership in there. This is really bad news for Jordan Travis. Can be, yeah. If, if nothing else, McKenzie, Milton can throw huge if, yeah, huge if Joey, 
huge if. Mm-hmm. If Mackenzie Milton is healthy, he's the best quarterback on the roster right now. Big if, but yeah, probably. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, definitely. <laughs> I mean, he was probably one of the best five quarterbacks in college football when he was healthy. Um, yeah. Outstanding player. Now, the big question is how healthy is he, right? He has a, he has a leg injury that's Alex Smith-like. And now we're seeing the college equivalent of Alex Smith here go out and continue to play football. He's got foot. He's got pro football aspirations. He's got NFL aspirations. I think if he goes out and has a really good year for Florida state next year, he will be drafted high, right? Because questions about the leg and that, in that sense would be gone. He's always been an accurate passer. He's got a good arm. Um, he's got an NFL arm. I mean, he could throw it deep down the field. This is a guy who, if he's healthy and he proves that he's healthy, will be a high draft pick next year. Not only that, but he immediately changes the narrative on Florida State's offense if he's healthy. Florida State's offense has been kind of up and down all year, and we talked about the quarterback position in particular and when Jordan Travis took over versus what we saw with Jordan Travis like three or four games later when there was film on him and folks realized he couldn't really throw like that. <laughs> um, the, the, the game plans changed, and Florida State was accounted for defensively by basically everybody except for Duke. Uh, this is a very different conversation if Mackenzie Milton is healthy and in the lineup and plays well and plays good football. I think that Florida State becomes a very interesting team to watch. They always are, but even more so heading into next year in the Atlantic Division when there, where there is no clear number two. I mean, the number two team in the Atlantic next year could very well be Boston College. And that's yeah. an interesting conversation in and of itself, but I think Florida State could be in that conversation as well if Mackenzie Milton comes back and proves that he's healthy. Big if, but it's possible. Gosh. Mike, by the way, I just pulled up the Wikipedia page for Mackenzie Milton, and there was a full yeah. like three paragraphs on the injury and aftermath. And I I'm not even sure I can recommend people go read this. Like that it is that hard to read. And and by the way, I had kind of forgotten this was not a year ago. This was two years ago that this all happened to Mackenzie Milton. So that is how far removed he is and you know, from playing football and we are from seeing him. I, I have such a hard time thinking he really truly is healthy at this point. But like you said, big if, if he is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big win for the Florida State program. And even if he's not, again, I would argue that just having him around the program and in the locker room is probably a pretty big deal as well. So good on Florida State to get him and, and, and bring him in and, you know, be able to get his contributions of any sort. Mike Norvell called up Josh Heupel and said, how does Mackenzie Milton look? And there's no reason for Josh Heupel being at UCF in the AAC for him to give Norvell anything but the truth. Probably and fair. he wants what's best for Mackenzie Milton, right? And Norvell obviously wants what's best for Mackenzie Milton and wants what's best for his football program. And Josh Heupel knows that Florida State is not on the football schedule next year, that this is a one-year deal for Mackenzie Milton, so that's not really going to impact him one way or the other. And he wants what's best for Milton anyway, right? Yep. He's got no reason to tell Norvell anything but the truth. Norvell gave him a scholarship. I think there's reason to believe that he's healthy enough to produce at a high level. And if that's the case, Joey, this could be a really exciting Florida State offense next year. It could be. But we've also been saying that for like three years now. So <laughs> at some point, I'll it's, believe it when they I see it. They haven't had a quarterback. Look, they haven't had a quarterback like Mackenzie Milton in a while. I mean, they have. I mean, uh, but but that's healthy Mackenzie Milton too. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, 
it's a big it's a huge if it's a huge part of the conversation and we won't know until we see very true very true uh other quarterback transfer news mike uh tucker gleason announced that he's transferring out of georgia tech i i only bring that up because again Georgia Tech people, I think there's a quite a few of them that listen to this podcast. You might remember he was the other quarterback that they signed last year, other yeah. than Jeff Sims. Not Jeff Sims. Not Jeff Sims, yeah. So um, he now joins James Graham uh, transferring out of that quarterback room. Uh, James Graham sounds like he's headed to Georgia Southern. So going to be a little bit of a restart there, but they do bring in an early enrollee here soon, so it'll be okay. Uh, yeah. Juwan Pass transferring out of Louisville. Puma Pass, the, uh, the chronicles of Puma are, uh, are officially – over at Louisville. Crazy how that worked out. Where does he go? I I don't know. Probably somewhere. I, I believe he was from Alabama or maybe Georgia. Um, I could see him going somewhere back in that area in a G5 school or something like that. Former four-star quarterback. Yeah, he wasn't terrible, but it never really fully worked out at Louisville. So, yeah, we'll have to see where he ends up. Uh, LaDamian Webb, running back, transferring out of Florida State. Uh, we'll have to see kind of how that all ends up. Uh, he was getting playing time. Yeah, and I think he announced he was going to Troy, if that's if I remember correctly. I believe that's correct. So, yeah, another former highly rated guy that hopefully that works out for him. Uh, we also found out Amari and Brown, uh, Georgia Tech wide receiver, is going to be transferring. Um, sounds like he's got something personal going on, you know, that he wants to be closer to home in Tampa, so he'll be heading down to Florida, presumably. Uh, you'll remember he set the freshman receiving touchdowns record, that, uh, or he tied Calvin Johnson's record last year at Georgia Tech, so it'll be a, a tough guy to replace. Um, you know, sorry to see him go, but hopefully everything's okay with him. Yep. Uh, and then we got Russ Yeast, defensive back out of Louisville. He, he's been one of the leading tacklers on that defense the last couple of years and a, and a very productive guy. He's going to be graduate transferring to play somewhere else for his last year before, you know, presumably taking a crack at the NFL, but we'll see. And then Marquise Waters, also out of Duke, uh, defensive back. He's going to be transferring, grad transferring, and going somewhere else as well. So, uh, we will keep you updated. It feels like, Mike, it's going to be a really busy transfer portal offseason here, not only in the ACC, but really just across college football. Yeah, it's going to be real busy. Um, and this we, we saw this coming. We've talked about this for months. I mean, folks were going to be transferring out of programs and into programs and commitments and decommitments and what have you. So it'll be interesting. Yep, absolutely. Mike, we have one little bit of news left. Um, it is – let's see, we're – we said we wanted to go for 20 to 30 minutes here. We're 35 minutes in. Do we want to hit on our, our last bit of news here, or do we want to save it? This is really important, so let's yeah, do it. Let's do it. The ACC, as we mentioned at the end of our uh, Week 14 recap, the ACC has a new commissioner, Mike. They have announced Northwestern AD Jim Phillips is going to be taking over for John Swafford when he retires here uh, the middle of next year. Seems like everybody, you know, from what everybody can tell, Feels like this is a good hire. Um, this is a guy that was wanted by the Big Ten when they were recently hiring a new commissioner. Um, they ended up going a different direction, and now the ACC has decided to swoop in, swoop in and take him. And it seems like it's gonna gonna be a good hire. Everyone is pretty happy with it, I think, Mike. Yeah, I mean, whenever you're coming from one of the uh, toughest places to build an athletic department in the Big Ten at Northwestern, just given uh, the state of athletic donations and stuff like that for a while yep. um it's really hard to uh question how good of an athletic director that jim phillips is right um he's been he's been fantastic at northwestern he's a guy that was kind of off the radar of the acc to replace swafford initially 
uh, David Teal of the Richmond Times-Dispatch, who's really tied into the ACC, wrote an article about a month ago talking about the initial candidates uh, to replace Swafford, right? And Phillips didn't show up in that article. Um, there, there were other individuals, various levels of qualifications. Uh, none of them, in my opinion, were as good of a choice as Jim Phillips. Yep. And this is being able to get a guy who was a finalist to be the Big Ten commissioner, and he loses out, of course, to Kevin Warren, and you're able to snag him as the conference commissioner for the ACC. I think it's a huge coup. He was one of the best athletic directors in the Big Ten, obviously a very good conference. Northwestern is a tough place to have you know, sustainable athletic programs. He's built that there um, in the two most important sports, football and basketball. <laughs> both, both programs are very, very good and very relevant. Um, so he's been able to do that. He's been a big reason for the success of that athletic department. I think he'll be huge for the ACC. Um, I think he will be an active lobbyist for the ACC in regards to more exposure, which is something that has been a problem on the football side here for a bit. Um, the fact that the ACC is now tied into a football contract with ESPN for the ACC network that is not nearly as lucrative as the SEC is something that's probably not going to sit well with Phillips and something that he's going to want to address as soon as he gets into the extent practical. Yep. So I think this is a very good hire, a very good replacement for John Swafford. I think he'll do a great job. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the TV contracts thing is something that definitely needs to be addressed at some point. Um, it's as you mentioned, it is not as lucrative as it near, as it could be, and certainly even just very recently, we've seen ESPN throw just an absolute pile of money at the SEC uh, to take over those CBS Game of the Week rights, like just to get one game a week through an absolute pile of money. So. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that's the thing that you'll want to have conversations with the folks over at Disney about is, uh, hey, let's, uh, you know, give us a little piece of that pie, too. So we'll see if he's able to handle that. Uh, my couple things else that I thought of that, you know, might have to kind of deal with here a little bit. I mean, obviously, there, there's the potential of uh, conference realignment things. Um, you figure that nothing really happens with the ACC until Notre Dame is in on football. But if if Notre Dame's in on football, then you probably got to go find someone else to make it a 16 team league instead of 15. Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, if he ever got Notre Dame in this conference as a full, full-time member, I think he would be, uh, <laughs> approval ratings would be high. Let's put it that way. Uh, very much so. Yeah. Um, so we'll see, you know, from a conference alignment standpoint, more uh, something else that I feel like he, he will end up definitely having to deal with is bowl alignments. We've talked before about the, the ACC's bowl tie-ins and, and th that whole mess. <laughs> it's not pretty. Um, Mike, there's, uh, there's opportunity to be aligned with some better, more prestigious bowl games, and I, I would hope that the ACC is in the running for those here over the next couple of years. Um, Mike, the last thing that, that kind of came to mind was something that's been mentioned here in, in recent years was the idea of either P5 or FBS autonomy, you know, basically breaking away from the NCAA to form their own governing body. So I, that's something else that will need to be uh, addressed if and when it comes up. Uh, yes, I agree. It'll be interesting. I don't know. I mean, I think there are a lot of elements at play here as to why he was selected, right? But I mm -hmm. think ultimately, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to a variety of a variety of key issues, and they believe he's the best individual moving forward for this job. And I tend to agree with them. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Mike, I think that's all I got. 
Anything else on this news dump? This was a mu- this was a much needed kind of news dump catch up type podcast. And if there's anything new on, I mean, I'm sure there'll be more transfers. But if there's anything new from the standpoint of Virginia Tech or from the standpoint of this new ACC commissioner, we'll make sure to kind of lay those out for you all um, on subsequent podcasts here. Yep, and we'll keep you updated on any other major transfers or any potential coach swaps. We'll have to see what happens there. Uh, Mike, let's get out of here. Uh, we got, we're going to come back and preview the ACC championship. Uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel VT together. We're at BC podcast ACC. We're also at BC podcast ACC on Instagram. Go find us there. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, breaker, the overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And you want to tell them where they can, uh, find us on the social medias. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there at BC Podcast ACC on Instagram. Go check Absolutely. that out as well. Uh, and, and by the way, go ACC at checkout for 20% off your first order on uh, homefieldapparel.com. Big one. Big one. Go check that out. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, we'll come back and preview some games. We'll talk then. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Yeah!